0: But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax, and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Hello, my fan friends. How are you doing? Welcome to another Rahula Stubber this week with Greg Jenner. A few things going on. Uh, my Radio 4 sitcom relativity is, has begun. There will be six episodes. The first one has gone out all right, ready. You can see, listen to it on Fridays at 11.30am on Radio 4. Or just go to your BBC Sounds app or on your computer and you can listen to whatever's out there. There is also a way to listen to the first two series, but it is illegal. You can check my Twitter feed and my blog for the link. And also, I have a new book coming out that I've more or less finished Writing now. It'll be out on November the 5th. It's called The Problem With Men. When's International Men's Day and why that's important or something like that, why that matters. Um, it's about my International Men's Day, Women's Day, Men's Day marathon, but also uh, asking other questions uh, about masculinity and toxic, toxic masculinity and working out whether we can get to the point whether where we celebrate International Men's Day properly or whether we need to. It's very good. I think you'll enjoy it what i'm saying is go and pre-order it preferably from one of the big bigger outlets so that uh, the numbers start to count everyone gets excited and then they put loads of them in the shops uh, it's out on amazon i'm sure it's on waterstones and wherever else you get your books uh, do you can buy it from go faster stripe or an independent book provider later in the day if you would prefer to do that there will be an audiobook read by little me richie herrin um that should be available to pre-order either now or pretty soon as well uh, if you feel like doing that, that would be terrific. Uh, you can get it on Kindle as well, obviously, and all that stuff. Um, you know, I've worked, I've worked hard on it. <laughs> I think you'll like it. It's funny, but it's also interesting. I've worked pretty hard on it. Anyway, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy Rahalastapa with Gregory Jenner. Hello and welcome. Please welcome a man who's just had a shower. That's why his hair looks like it's been cut. It's It hasn't been cut. It's Richard Herring. Hello. Here I am wearing my trademark two pairs of spectacles. That's just the kind of guy I am. Uh, welcome to another remote Richard Herring's lying, shitty Tories podcast. Um, that's pretty much self-explanatory. If you're listening in the future, when this goes out in the podcast stream, I think you could probably guess what week this went out. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's still a story. And I would be very surprised if Dominic Cummings has resigned uh, in two months time or ever and might just, just be the president of the United Kingdom anyway. But I was hanging around at the spec savers at Barnard Castle the other day and uh, the man who does the eye tests, he calls it and I don't know if that's going to, oh, yeah, everyone's chatting out. How lovely. Don't know if that's going to catch on. So, um, Welcome to the show. Uh, sorry we weren't here last week. I mean, we were for you at home uh, who aren't seeing this live. Uh, I am sort of trying to write a book at the moment, and I was a bit ill last week as well. Not with anything serious. Uh, well, I hope it was something serious, but if it was, I got through it really easily, and it's pimpsy. Uh, I was just a bit tired. Uh, so it's lovely to be back. I might fall asleep. I was just saying to our guest, I might fall asleep during the podcast, as I am. It's a bit hard trying to write a book in these circumstances, I am finding, but we're getting there. I'm uh, 14,000 words into a 20,000-word book. Should be able to finish it by the end of the week. That's the plan. Uh, And then just send it off, and it's fine. They just go, yeah, we'll print that, that's fine. That's how it works, as I understand it. Uh, What's been going on uh, since uh, we last met you here? Um, Apart from me being ill and tired. Uh, Oh, I had fun today with uh, Lord Sugar, uh, who... Turns out is a real idiot, a complete idiot. I had so much respect for him before, as you know. Uh, fam- very famous Tottenham Hotspur fan, as our guest is today. Uh, tweeted, uh, retweeted a GIF that's saying, Happy birthday. Today, every person in the whole world is the same age. That can't be true, can it? Today is a very special day. There's only one chance this happens every 1,000 years. Your age this year and your year of birth, the total for every person, is 2020. So if you add the, your age to the year of your birth, you will get 2020. It's so strange that even experts can't explain it. I mean, I don't maybe experts in any other field than mathematics. Uh, but even though, I think you know, it'd be weird. You figure out and see if it's 2020. It's a thousand year wait. Take a shot. Let everyone calculate it. Well, mine adds up to 2019 because I'm 52. So it doesn't work. What it should have said is they could have made it even better. The, the last second of the year, everyone, if you add their age to the year of their birth, we're, for one second, we'll all be 2020. That's not how old we are. That is just the maths. And so, uh, yeah, Lord Sugar doesn't seem to understand that if you add your age to the year you were born, that gives you this year. He it, it, it seems to think it's magic. Um it did lead me to, uh, for some reason, trying to suggest to Lord Sugar different catchphrases he could use if he's got bored of you are fired. Uh, my favourite one was, please leave now. You were never employed here. That's the whole point of the programme. I think it'd be better if he, if he did that as he left instead. So we had some fun with Lord Sugar's stupidity today. He doesn't seem to realise how quite a lot of people... Uh, are amazed by by that fact. We'll find out if our guest is later. Uh, also, the news this week. I don't know if you saw this news. Uh, scientists have created a mouse embryo, which is four percent human, and that begs the question, doesn't it? What percentage of a human would a mouse have to be before it was no longer considered morally wrong? Morally wrong to have sex with it. It's less than a hundred percent. That's all I know. We're three percent Neanderthal, but no one gets sent to prison for bestiality, having sex with a monkey every time you have sex with a human. So there must be a mouse percentage that is acceptable of how much human you inject into the mouse, and then it's actually okay to have I don't want to have sex with a mouse. I'm not sick, and I'm not that Hollywood actor that you're all thinking about. I want to have sex with a woman with realistic mouse ears, whiskers, and a tail. Plenty of people do that with people dressed up as a mouse, I'm guessing. So it's doing it with someone who's been specifically bred to look like that all the time. Really? Any more morally questionable? Who's the real sick man in this so-called society? Uh, I would only require that the chimera that I had sex with have the right bits of mouse and woman because I don't want to end up – I don't want to order it in advance and get it delivered and it turns out that it's a giant mouse with just human mammary glands. I'm not – I don't want that. I, w- I, would ex- I would expect a discount if that's what's turned out. I would take it in out of the goodness of my human heart and I would have sex with it, but – I would want to pay less money for that. There are a lot of moral questions about scientists playing God with genetics, but you'd be very naive if you thought the main one isn't about creating sexy hybrids between different species and where the percentage cuts off of ac- uh, accept- acceptability lie. Anyway, that's why I spent most of the week thinking about rather than writing my book. So, uh, time well spent, I think. Uh, let's see what else. My, my daughter's been writing stories about poo. I won't bother. You can read my blog if you want to find out about that, but I'm very proud of her. Uh, She uh, wrote a story about a poo that pooed another poo and that pooped, and then those poos fell in love, which is – and had a family. It's incestuous. I'm not sure what the legality of that is. Uh, But anyway, let's see. So um, thanks for watching. uh, If you're watching live on Twitch, uh, then we're doing this pretty much every Wednesday, 8 o'clock. They will go out as podcasts down the line. If you're enjoying them and you'd like to contribute to our Empire you can give us free money via, if you're an Amazon Prime member, you get £5 every month, which you can donate to us. So you can subscribe, and Ian Amazon will give us £5. They're going take back pound fifty because he's an idiot, but he's still giving us £3.50 every month, which you can give us for free. You can subscribe with money if you want. If you want to spend money on the podcast, the best thing is to become a monthly badger. Uh, you get loads of cool stuff, including this uh, presentation wallet. Reminds me of something. I don't know what. Uh, you get bad. This is the gold badge. You get a special little membership thing. I'm one of the cool kids, and there's a secret code in there. There's the rules of Rahalastapa. The first rule of Rahalastapa Club is you must shout Rahalastapa whenever anyone else says Rahalastupa, wherever you are. You should be doing it now. The second rule of Rahalastapa Club is to be cool at all times. The third rule of Rahalastupa is when called upon by Richard Herring, I will do anything that he commands. Anything. And uh, the fourth rule of Rahalastupa is that it's really helpful if you talk about Rahalastapa because most people don't seem to know what it is. So that, that's the kind of thing you can get. I've just given away all the rules, but there's loads more in that little leaflet. Plus you get back extras, backstage interviews. I've just done one with the guest that you can only see if you're a, a monthly badger. So why not go and do that if you've enjoyed this stuff during lockdown? But there's loads of stuff on Twitch that I'm doing at the moment. I presume I'll still be doing some of it, uh, whatever, wherever we are in lockdown. I play snooker in the evenings at 7.30 most nights and I stone clear every weekday out on the out on the fields and you can watch that usually about 8am depending on what time the kids wake up and uh, how much you know responsibility i have with my my human family that i've spawned in order to cover up the fact that i'm a secret stone clearer don't tell my wife what i'm doing anyway let's crack on uh, my guest this week he's been on before he's probably best known though for playing an historian in uh, the horrible histories of the movie rotten romans Will you please welcome the incredible Greg Jenner? Here he is! There he is! Hooray! Everyone's cheering and saying hooray! How are you doing, Greg?
3: I'm all right. How are you?
0: Good. Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. Yeah, not too bad. I mean, it's been up and down over the last few weeks, but I'm kind of on and up. I think at the moment. That's good. How about how about you? You've, you're getting through.
3: Just about. I've got a nine month old baby who uh, she's taking a very uh, tangential approach to sleep and the concept of it. So that's not ideal. But apart from that, she's very nice.
0: That would be happening anyway. So, you know, you would be you'd be pretty much stuck in the house anyway. Yeah. So, you know, in a way, you're the luckiest man in the world. (laughs) In a way. (laughs) (laughs) I saw uh, Horrible Histories, the movie. I enjoyed it very much.
3: It's very silly. It's a fun yeah. city. Lots of good songs. It's got songs. It's got dancing. It's got Romans. It's got Celts. I mean, what else it's do you want It's got Nick the Frost.
0: It's got not first of Nick Frost in it, which means that I would, didn't get the part. If, if he hadn't accepted that, then I'm next in line for all of Nick Frost's roles. That is how but it works. He, yeah. But he gets, you know, he does take all the work, so I don't get any acting. But I mean, he
3: was very good in it. and um, He was extremely good. But, yeah, if he'd had an accident was... with a javelin or something, yeah. we would have phoned you. Given,
0: I could have given it a go. And how was it? I know you've made some cameo. You've you've been obviously heavily involved in horrible histories all the way through. Yeah, uh, and you have done some cameo work on the TV show. I love the way you call but it work. How, how, was it,
3: <laughs> how was it?
0: How was it, uh, being a movie star for a day and playing? It was. Uh, uh, is it Emperor Nero's historian? I'm
3: Emperor Nero's personal historian, which is okay. an in joke that nobody got, which uh, delighted me. My mum got it, and uh, and okay. nobody else. But. Um, but it was very fun i got to go to bulgaria uh, which I've been, okay. I've been to before but it was very nice yep. and the weird thing about it was that um i was uh meant to stand at the top of a staircase and watch craig roberts playing nero fall down this staircase and yep. be, be caught by a stunt team it's a really quite a, it's a proper staircase and he really fell and he landed on a mat and every time he did it I, ju- I just freaked out at the kind of genuine terror of what was happening in front of me. I was meant to be playing it sort of slightly cool, but right. he was literally falling from quite a height down a staircase onto a mat and doing it in sort of stupid kind of Roman sandals and a big uh, Roman kind of cape almost. And every time he did it i just thought oh my god he's gonna die so um the take that you see in the movie is the one time when i didn't go oh my god are you okay so um yeah so did
0: he have to do it a lot because you were reacting wrong did they make him do it again and again because of you
3: they did it a lot i think to get the best shot but i okay. i was acutely aware that i was probably ruining some of the scenes um because uh, I, you know i have no training and also this is a this is not a stunt man. this is just a nice man who fell down the stairs a lot and it just it felt dangerous but i'm sure he was fine i mean he was fine he was very very uh, kind of like matter of fact about it a very impressive performer but um yeah i was scared so um, okay. yeah you can watch that film it's free oh, on I'll amazon prime it. if you've got amazon yes, I think prime that's where I saw it. it's I zero I saw pounds it. you can watch it a thousand times so.
0: yeah and if you've got amazon prime don't forget to link your accounts to twitch and give us exactly ian well.
3: amazon's a very generous man yeah.
0: He's lovely, isn't he? All you have to do is give him £80 or £90 a year and he'll give, he'll give you £60 to give back to me. That's insane. Anyway, um, what percentage of a uh, human would a mouse have to be before it was considered morally wrong to have sex with it? In your historical, uh, as a historian. Oh, I've just dropped
3: the book. Well, I mean, Uh, famously, this was the first draft of Frankenstein. This is what you know, Mary Shelley's, uh, you know, her early work before before she sort of really nailed down what the book was about. She initially was thinking, you know, writing a story about uh, a mad scientist who tries to create the perfect sexy mouse, and uh, and it goes wrong, and the mouse, you know, basically wreaks vengeance upon her and upon the uh, upon the the people of the village. But um, yeah. I mean, that's, the uh, that's, that's the danger. That's the I danger.
0: There is a risk because you can't. You know, I guess you'd really have to be good at genetics. Also, there's the question <laughs> because, like, I, you know, I'm not. I wouldn't be above board. And if it's a mainly a human, if you're creating it from an embryo, if it's mainly human, you would have to wait. You know, I think you know, morally speaking, at least twenty years before you had sex with, it. and you would have to say, "Are you okay with me having sex?" Right, with yeah, I I think you'd have. I think you'd have to, you'd have to make maybe a hundred. I'd be 73 by the time the mouse is ready to, and the mouse human will be 20. Uh, I think maybe one in a hundred of those mouse humans would be up for it. So I think you'd have to make a big army of them. Some of them would turn out how you wanted, maybe a thousand of them. And then to get everything morally okay is what I'm saying. But right. if it's mainly mouse, then an adult mouse, <laughs> you have to wait about a year for that, don't you? So, but that would be
3: that, that would be better. The consent there is much harder to <laughs> right. get if it's mainly mouse. I think, but it's still human,
0: so it's still there's still a point a percentage where it's mainly mouse, but human enough to be able to say yes or no, but also mouse enough that it's an adult. When well, it's what is that one percentage?
3: Because I'm I'm worried here about the ethics. Well, that's Richard. why
0: you've got to work it out. It's that is an ethical minefield. But that's I think you have to think. But I'm I'm you know I'm not a sick person. I I thought very carefully. Because like, you know
3: if you look at like a a spork, you know half spoon half fork. Yeah. You'd say that's probably 50-50. And yeah. so you are saying that's 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 equal parts of a spoon and fork. So is that okay to have sex with? Well, that feels to me like it's a it's a thing where you've gone yes okay, this, so this has know, become. It's so I'm I'm thinking yeah. 50-50 might be where at least you can start to have that conversation.
0: And how much how much 50-50 do you think it would look like a uh, 50-50? Do you think it would look like a mouse <laughs> with it, with ears and stuff on it, with human ears? Or do you think like a human that was a bit – because there's, there's a thing where, you know, if you Google <laughs> – someone sent me an image of, like, a, se- a woman dressed as a sexy mouse. That is a thing. It's actually not one of my things. That's, and that's Amazingly not enough,
3: am. not one of the many things. That
0: but <laughs> it's obviously the thing for <laughs> – I'm actually very familiar. it's obviously a thing for something, the idea of a woman with ears. Yeah. And she was wearing a little bow tie and a sort of raw Oscar. That ruins it for me because a mouse does not wear those things. So the bow, I get rid of the bow tie. But it's a woman with, but with a mouse ears, okay, whiskers, and a big mouse tail. Uh, and obviously, to some people, that is a sexy idea.
3: To so the tail, you're enjoying the tail. That Do you think that's? I'm not enjoying I it, Greg. Don't
0: turn this on me. I'm a perfectly normal man who just wants to create, a, just out <laughs> of interest. Is it cheating on your partner to have sex with? something that is 50% mouth half of it's a um, rodent half of it's a a, a human being
3: I think that is cheating yes and I also think that's probably illegal and wrong and also very strange (laughs) it's just interesting to get your history I mean Mickey Mouse does Mickey Mouse have a tail
0: um i can't i mean why go for mickey why not go for minnie why have you gone straight in for mickey mouse because i there? can't visualize I have all the choices of mice. i'm
3: struggling to visualize any sort of bipedal mouse other than mickey mickey's the only one i can think of but i can't remember does mickey have a tail and you've you've gone to the tail the ears and the whiskers well you know so. you're
0: struggling to visualize any other mouth i mouse i can't it's very insulting that you've done this if you've listened <laughs> to any of the podcasts recently because i am actually incapable of visualizing anything i have uh i have a. Uh, that's uh, I keep forgetting the name of it, but I have don't, my mind's eye is blind. Okay, I can't picture anything visual in my head. So, thanks for bringing that up when I was, wasn't going to talk about it. My disability that I can't visualize anything, so I don't know if sorry. he's got a I'm really tail sorry. because I because <laughs> I can't see it. I'll tell you what I can do though is I can Google Mickey Mouse, yes, please do, uh, and, and look at him and, and see if he's got a tail. I'll just do that for you now. Yeah, of course he's got a tail. He's got a little thin tail, hasn't he? There he is. I don't know if I can show you him legally. due to I won't do just in case I'm in trouble. Yeah. Uh, Mickey Mouse.
3: Well, that's... put a picture... All right. So I guess you've... So, been... yeah, so he's
0: got a tail, but he also wears red pants and big yellow shoes. He's got deformed, massive feet and hands for some reason. Uh, he doesn't have whiskers. He does have the ears, but to me, they're too... I, I, they're too comically like they're not not really they as these
3: round. No, they're things, sort of they? satellite dishes, aren't they? Whereas
0: Minnie Mouse, who I would have ch- personally chosen, right, um, is uh, she has uh, she uh, well, she's wearing a dress, so it's hard to see. Maybe this, she's got a bow in her hair, so you can't really see her ears. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I think Minnie Mouse might just be Mickey Mouse in drag, which is fine. <laughs> okay. But I wish they would. I wish Walt Disney was just open about it. Cause, uh, sure, it's uh, it's not good, but there we go. Okay, well that's isn't. Into- I've listened to your uh, your Dead to Me, which is a fantastic um, podcast about history, very entertaining. I've been on it as well, so you, I, so, you know, yeah. I'm not just listening to i listened to that one you I was did in the you room. listened you were there um, uh it was about stonehenge i'm interested it. in stones uh but i listened was it with sarah pasco you were talking about uh Boudica. neanderthals no budica oh, no, um, no Boudica. who was the neanderthals i listened to the neanderthal one as well the tim Boudica one was great. Was tim mentioned ah, the yes, neanderthals
3: and uh, on we it. had a lovely Good chat. choice because he is
0: he is probably out of all the people you could have met. Is that why you went for him? He it chose was... it.
3: We asked, him, he? we asked him, what did he fancy? And he said, I'd yeah. like Neanderthals, please. And luckily, I know a Neanderthal ex- expert, uh, yeah. Becky Sykes, who's a brilliant specialist with a brand new book coming out very soon. So it was a, a match made in heaven. And we had a very, very long, incredibly nerdy, brilliant chat. that was about two hours long. And we cut yeah. it down to about forty-five minutes, but it was genuinely—I right. felt very stupid at every point because it's two brilliantly clever people in a room going, "Yeah, of course." Well, cerebral cortexes are uh, famously unreliable, and I'd be like, "Uh huh, uh huh, sure."
0: <laughs> he'd done a lot of research. You're not meant to research for you You're Go not. in as the comedian, and he'd done. A, he'd done a lot of research, so uh, you yeah, know, I knew, I knew a little bit. But that's quite interesting that we've got this two, two to four percent of yeah human well of european is it mainly or is yeah, it not you're, it's not african people is it if, if your
3: heritage know. is is primarily european then it's two to four percent probably more closer to two and a half percent um yeah and uh there is a sort of there, there is some neanderthal dna still floating about in us right now
0: so at some point in the past someone made a moral decision and they decided to i mean you know is that It's hard to know, isn't it? But who was the the higher evolved species between Neanderthals and Homo sapiens? It's difficult to... uh... Yeah,
3: and uh, what do you measure? Are you measuring intelligence? Are you measuring linguistic skills? Are you measuring aptitude for hunting? Are you measuring, you know, hotness in terms of the kind of physical attractiveness? I mean, historically, you'd say that uh, in terms of the way that they've been constructed, Neanderthals were often said to be stupid and thuggish and, you know, dragging people around like wheelie bins uh, and sort of shouting at the moon. And the evidence increasingly is saying, "Mm, probably not actually, probably pretty smart, intelligent, probably had some language, may have had some sort of musical capacity, might have done art, we're not sure, but certainly symbolic language and symbolic meaning and all of these things that we think of as uniquely human, well, maybe not.
0: And they were here before Homo sapiens. Is that correct? The Neanderthals they were yeah. they they were in Europe be, be quite a long time before us.
3: Yeah, they were. So the Neanderthals were in primarily in Europe longer for us, and then we sort of arrived in and gradually sort of outperformed them. Probably don't, we're not quite sure why, but fucked uh,
0: them to death. I think was, we, 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 m- did, we They <laughs> couldn't keep up with us. It was us fucking them. <laughs> let's not fucking us we're just trying to p- create music and art and stuff. exactly
3: we just were relentlessly horny um but <laughs> but yes we're not entirely as, sure why they die out
0: as an historian if a neanderthal was found yeah like frozen in a block of ice and they and they thawed out and it was alive yeah. would you have sex with the neanderthal just out of academic interest
3: just out of like doing my empirical research yeah, just yeah i i think I'd probably do some heavy I petting, I think I'd probably okay. go like you know maybe a bit of touching, maybe a little bit of frottage, but I'd uh,
0: give it a crack and you know so enough. to speak and um you know you could say to your wife or partner I don't know it's it's i do have to do it at uh, research I'm just <laughs> interested to see just to find out how it works yeah i mean if the if the neanderthal uh consented as well that's very important that's very
3: important absolutely and uh, and Neanderthals were You know, strong and powerful, I'm sure, very impressive lover, much more so than me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can find that out. There's one thing I can find out, and that is that. That's possible, though unlikely, I would say. Um, And uh, we're going to talk about your book, but uh, we'll talk about other stuff first. Um, you've been in this homeschool history, which I haven't. My, my kids are a bit too young for it. I think my wife yeah. listened to it and said it's a bit too advanced for a five-year-old.
3: Yeah, it's probably but seven the, or eight is roughly the yeah. right age to sort of switch on. It's a little bit um, – uh, we talk a bit about, you know, the headings and executions and murders and stuff like that, but it's right. uh, it's, a, it's a kid's show, but um, yeah. it's Radio 4, it's a podcast. It's for the kids, uh, but it's also for the families. And it's an emergency podcast. The BBC asked us to make – incredibly short notice and so we did and it was um it's been fun it's just a 15 minute history lesson by me and i um i do we do silly sound effects over the top and i I co-wrote it with an expert historian and two of my co-writers as well so um emma and gabby helped with the script so it's um it's a sort of 15 minute little lecture with stupid sound effects that kids can go oh cool now i know about charles dickens so it's been fun to do and we've had lovely feedback
0: Good. Well, we'll check it. So is that, that's all just available as a podcast online, this, yep. the whole series. BBC I mean? yeah. Sounds, so, yeah.
3: We've, we're halfway through the series. So it's uh, it's called Homeschool History. So if you've got And if you've does got kids. it
0: count if, if you just get the kids? Because uh, that's what, when I'm in charge of the kids, what I've discovered is quite a good thing when the kids are a bit older, Greg. This is a parent tip anyone can use. Just give them iPads and let them watch those. <laughs> then, they're, they're, honestly, the time passes by really quickly. My wife doesn't like it, but <laughs> it means you can just do other stuff, whereas it's quite difficult. So I'm looking for things. When I'm homeschooling, that count, but that are really easy to do. Yeah. So that's that. That I can make them listen to that and go. This is homeschooling. Fifteen minutes, and in fact, if I do a few, I could put out five or six. <laughs> then I go. It's your turn now, darling. I'm off now. You've homeschooled
3: them. You've absolutely done yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm I've very happy them. for you to entrust your homeschooling to me. And uh, good.
0: Yeah, I am to you as well. I'm not. I wouldn't be happy to entrust it to myself. But unfortunately, my family uh, stuck with. It's been very difficult. You're lucky a child's so young.
3: She is. She's, she's uh, unaware of the dangers she's in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's been quite good fun. And, I, and a lot of... I, I, baked, I baked a loaf of... I've done a lot today. I've written some of my book. I, baked a, I made a loaf of bread. Oh, very nice. My kids, my kids made gingerbread men, which were very nice. Um yeah you know it's fun you have fun with these kids they're crazy running my son's running around naked all the time now it's what time what age would would you did you enjoy being a a nude when you were a young man when i when i say young man a child
3: (laughs) i don't remember being particularly nude a lot as a kid there's a there's a photo of me going up the stairs i think naked as a very small boy i quite like being naked as an adult around the house, you, yeah. But it's well, I do that as well. A bit inappropriate now, but, uh, but c- t- I was
0: uh, new till much too too late. At home much too much <laughs> too late <laughs> I and mean, it wasn't 28 years old but it was almost you know it was much like when people came round and stuff I would I remember sort of
3: <laughs> oh no
0: I mean I think like 12 or 13 I remember maybe really? when my auntie Jean yeah. came around sort of scrabbling around trying to find some pajama bottoms or something but I was basically almost a man and I and my puberty came relatively early so I think puberty may have convinced me to stop but
3: right I mean, that, Benjamin Franklin uh, yeah. used to take naked. He called them air baths. So he right. used to he used to um, used to say that it was good for your health to just get naked once a day and just sort of bathe in the sunlight and just walk about. Yeah, your flat completely naked. So.
0: Yeah, I mean it's nice. <laughs> you know, it's not. Uh, probably, I mean, would I lived alone, I probably did it a lot. Um, but yeah, my sons, uh, th- my daughter's a big advocate of it as well. They enjoy being being nude. Yeah, being free.
3: That's nature intended. Yeah. It's good.
0: It would be nice to be two again.
3: Do you think? I, I, I was trying to think the other day what was the best age for just sort of the ratio of like happiness to uh, lack of responsibilities to yeah. uh, the ability to get the things you wanted when you wanted them. Because, like, obviously, That's as a kid, a you best. don't get to have the biscuits when you want the biscuits unless you steal the biscuits, and you can't you don't have enough pocket money to buy the things you really want. Mm-hmm. But as you get older, the responsibilities increase. So, where's the kind of happy perfect place? I think I felt like maybe. I was a very serious kid. Yeah, I was like really, really studious and very, very grown up as a child. And then I turned into an absolute bellend, and, <laughs> and I've never really, I've never really recovered. And now I'm a total idiot, and I'm very yeah. stupid. But as a child, I was very like sober and like. But why, Daddy? But why? So, <laughs> I'd like to think as a kid I had a lovely fun time. But apparently, no. Apparently, I was incredibly no. interrogative.
0: I'm, I've been pretty consistently the same throughout my life. I think for for me, would be, ah, I think, four okay. or five. Uh, like My daughter's already five, and I'm telling her she's passed the best bit of her life. Because <laughs> uh, I think, like, four, yeah, just, you know, you understand if you can rem- you'll rem- remember some of it, and it's kind of fun, and you can be childish, and you can, you know, I think the fun part of being a child is where you don't really get into trouble for being naughty, because people just get, well, he's four, you've got to let him. I mean, I was just so irritating. Like, I was always saying, poo-poo, wee-wee-bottom. That was my catchphrase. And again, I did it for...
3: That's your Edinburgh show, isn't it? A long, I mean, it's my whole career, but I just
0: literally go around the house going, poo, poo, wee, wee, bottom, which is sort of, I'm getting paid, but my daughter is the same, but much more imaginative with her the way she... Right. Her, her, sc- her scatological uh, humour is uh, is a lot about pooing in your face. Uh, the other day, both <laughs> of them uh, got on top of me, but <laughs> fine, my daughter <laughs> encouraged my son to put his bum in my face. <laughs> <laughs> and then she got up and tried to put her bum on my face. So I had both of them trying to put their naked bums on my face. And that's sort of, you know, it's sort of payback really for yeah. how I've lived my life. <laughs> <laughs> I had to fight off two bum, two tiny. Nice, but I like the enjoyable bum sure. to have on your face. <laughs> um, but uh, very much the bum on your face as well. So it's uh, it wasn't, uh, and, you know. We're, to- we're toilet training, my son at the moment, which is part of the reason it's good for him to be. Yeah.
3: When my daughter was very small, she was probably about eight weeks, she shat in my eye, which yeah, oh, <laughs> was nice. really, really unexpected. Just one of, those, <laughs> one of those kind of rookie moments where you just sort of lean in a bit close, you're changing the nappy and she just projectile shat directly into my open eyelid and i just remember being impressed i just was like genuinely like well done well done darling that's actually very good well done i'm gonna now go and wipe my face but, but i was i was actually slightly moved at this profound moment of comedy so um, yeah yeah she i mean it's young. very
0: fun there's, there's a lot of fun to come greg you're gonna enjoy it <laughs> uh it's been fucking i would i've loved to just send my kids to barnard castle for a couple of days uh, just let someone else look after them, but apart from that it 's been it 's been pretty good. I would have liked so it 'd be nice i 'm looking forward most of all just having someone coming look after the kids for a day <laughs> and uh, which my wife is as i 've been working, my wife has taken on more than fifty percent, which i 'm not happy about i 'm hoping that in a couple of weeks I can do the, the same for her but um, it would be just lovely that neither of us have to look after the kids for mm. just an hour would be nice.
1: Oh,
0: that's all I that's all I care about. Oh, the question I wanted to ask you, you, you were on uh, the podcast a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, has there been any new history since the last time? Yeah.
3: No, there's a, a, a couple. Has there? A couple of yeah. new histories. and okay, uh, good. They're pretty good, actually. They're, they're all yeah. right. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, new history happens a lot. And obviously, you depends what you want to call history. So uh, you could say that Brexit, it was a historic moment. But was that history? Well, not yet. No, not really. I tend to say 20, 25 years is my, ha- my happy little cutoff point, I think. Everything after that, I'm like, yeah, that's my territory, hand it over. Anything under 25 years, I'm like, that's sort of journalism. so,
0: okay. uh, I, so a couple of years of the late 90s have, mm-hmm. become, have I think, become history since you were here last. I think
3: so. I think, uh, I think maybe um, maybe some early boy bands in the 1993 era, maybe, maybe early take that, maybe take that yeah. have become history.
0: Fist of Fun, maybe it's become well, a Fist of Fun. My TV probably, show.
3: You're probably passing into history now, which oh, means that's good. The, no, uh, I'd like to be. The historians are coming for you. They're going to debate your legacy, and uh, and we'll find out if that show. And
0: I know you're a Tottenham fan, uh, like Lord Sugar. I am. Have you tried? Have you tried this? Uh, this. Thing that at this your age this year plus the year of your birth
3: i'm not sure i'm a, a, a talented together? enough mathematician to pull off that kind of maths because i well, I'm, what year what, well i was born in 82 and i'm 37 82. so okay so that doesn't really work no it really. doesn't work for you either no you. but that's clearly my fault okay. I'm, yeah. I'm obviously not trying hard enough and and lord sugar as a lord as a former football chairman as a man who fires people from jobs they don't have he clearly has superior skills
0: i mean it's amazing to become a like a Someone as powerful as Lord Sugar and not, <laughs> <laughs> and think that that's amazing, isn't it? That was, I mean, I, don't, I think there's there'll be we're on Twitter, you know, tweets about it like sarcastically, and a lot of people are going, well, either, well, you know, it was just, <laughs> really, it's obvious. But uh, uh, you know, even to the extent that some people were still bamboozled by it, so people are pretty thick, I think, is what we're learning.
3: I think, but also people, there's just lots of memes going around on WhatsApp, and they're all being yeah. shared by people like my parents' generation, who just share stuff without even yeah. reading it. And I remember, like, early on in the COVID sort of pandemic-y moment when we were aware that it was coming, but we hadn't really considered a lockdown. My uh, I think my mum sent me that kind of thing going around about, you know, like, if you can hold your breath for 30 seconds, you don't have COVID. And it's like, that's, that's <laughs> not science. That's, that's just a thing on the internet. And it was remarkable how quickly that spread through really sensible... Yeah, I think people?
0: something's happened to the, the late middle-aged people within this crisis. I've, I've heard this again and again. And I've experienced it mainly from my mother-in-law, right. who I love dearly, <laughs> but I'm getting a lot of memes. Yeah. And I got I, I basically got a bit of spam from her about this. It, said it looked like a thing. It was just a Word document. I said, this looks like spam are you, are you sure this is? And she said, no, yeah, no, no, I got it from my friend. It's fine. And I stupidly clicked on it. And then I went, and then she sort of rang up and said, oh, uh, I've just been talking to her my friend who thinks it might actually be spam so uh yeah so but a lot of memes a mm. lot of memes coming through that as a 52 year old man i am not enjoying but that she clearly uh as a <laughs> as a slightly older lady uh is is thoroughly enjoying um but yeah it's interesting it's interesting what uh, what people will uh, will go for and it's interesting that lord sugar He's getting very angry with people to tell him to delete it <laughs> and that he's an idiot. <laughs> uh, he's not going... I, th- I think there's something gone wrong in his brain. Uh, it happens to everyone who uh, hosts The Apprentice, apparently. Uh, so let's talk about your book. Here is your book. Uh, it is called dead famous oh, could get the right camera there is that you've got one in the background there that's over my probably shoulder. Yeah. probably accidentally just the, oh oh that's embarrassing it's just it's just oh, what, what are the what are the chances um and i haven't <laughs> read i haven't read it all greg I would go as far to say I haven't read very much of it, but what I have read is I would go as far uh, to say I've literally only just seen this in existence. I've had it for ages, and it's been sitting on my desk over there for ages. I'm a big fan of your work, and the, the nice thing about this, though, is you can dip in a little bit if you want yeah. to, as well as read it as a it's. It's. Um, I mean, it's quite an, it's an interesting subject, and. How did you? It sort of came about by accident. I was I was, I was reading in the introduction. It's <laughs> <laughs> near the beginning. Uh, how that you? How you decided? You chanced onto this? You were writing a book about something else. It?
3: Sort of, yeah. So it's a, it's a history of celebrity, uh, yeah. which and it's a funny history celebrity because everything I do, I try and be funny-ish. Um, but uh, it's. Uh, it's about where does celebrity come from? And I argue it starts in the 1700s. So it's 300 years old and I stop in 1950 because celebrities after that, we know that story. We know Elvis and Marilyn. Um, but yeah, I was going to try and I was going to write a biography of a, um, a person who was born into slavery. He was a um, black guy called Bill Richmond who'd been born into slavery in America, was liberated during the American Re- Re- revolutionary war <clears throat> was brought to the UK and was given an education And became a cabinet maker and then aged 40 decided to become a bare knuckle boxer his name was bill richmond he became a big celebrity he was really famous and he taught lord byron how to box and he knew the sort of prince of wales and really interesting story amazing story um and carried on boxing until he was like 64 years old uh and i thought great okay well i'll write his biography and i spent seven years researching all that and then i kind of realized well okay firstly I don't have time to write this. And then someone else wrote a biography of him instead. And it's just really good. It's, it's a book by Luke G Williams. It's fantastic. It's called um, uh, Richmond Unchained. But, um, but I realized that I'd been calling him a celebrity and I was like, Oh, have I just made that up? Like, did they have celebrity in 1812? Have I just sort of superimposed some modern idea onto the past? Cause actually isn't celebrity quite recent so that's the the germ of it that's the kind of basis yeah. point but also no, it's
0: a it's a really interesting point again yeah that, and yeah, you know i don't it's not yeah you know, the minute you sort of think about it you go well that, that's a great question but i would imagine as well looking at it the depth the research you must have got because i are you the first person to ask this question there isn't like a just a you know it, it there must there's it spans so many different yeah. people and so many different elements of fame it must have taken you a long time to, to put this together. Yeah,
3: four years. So yeah. um, equivalent to a PhD. Uh, but um, there have been a few books on the history of celebrity. Of course, there have. Uh, scholars have been writing about the history of celebrity for, for many decades, but they tended to sort of go, it started in 1910 with Charlie Chaplin falling off a horse yeah. or whatever. Um, but in the past 10 years or so, historians have gone, no, we think it's older. We think it's at least 19th century. Um some have said oh, 18th century. And I, I agree. The book is my argument saying, yeah, 18th century is when it starts. But uh, it was terrifying to start this book because I went in thinking this will be easy. <laughs> this will be a doddle, <laughs> pretty straightforward, quite a small subject. You know, I know what celebrity is. I'll just, you know, do a bit of bit of Googling. <laughs> no worries. Um, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. You know, incredibly sure. difficult. Um,
0: well, it's quite difficult. It must be difficult to define yeah. what constitutes a celebrity even because like you know you could say you know julius caesar's must have been a celebrity
3: no so he's not in, in, so, in that's so that's the thing so he's in the yeah. book because he's not a celebrity so i try and okay. I, you know so yeah i had to come up with my own definition because there's no accepted definition of celebrity which is bizarre because okay. we all know what it is we yeah. all know you know we you know celebrity master chefs on the telly you're like he's not a celebrity which means <laughs> that we have an implicit understanding of what a celebrity is but um but there was no agreed definition. So I had to come up with my own. It took me eight so months. Why
0: so is, why is Julius Caesar not a celebrity?
3: Ooh, how long have you got? Um, <laughs>
0: I've got a lot. You can you can stay here all night.
3: <laughs> right. Long story short, it gets quite complicated and the book explains it much more detailed and funnier. But um, celebrity is different to fame, is different to renown, is different to notoriety, um, and is different to glory. And they're all interlinked. They're very similar, but they're different. And fame was the ancient idea. So the Romans and Greeks had fame. Um, and for the Romans, fame was a monster. So Farmer, F-A-M-A, was a giant Godzilla-like creature covered in eyes, ears, mouth, and tongues. And she hunted you down. She stalked you down. And she found you. And she destroyed your life. So uh, the poet Virgil talked about her as this beast. So the idea of fame as a sort of fun thing is actually quite surprising. Um, but celebrity is different because, for me, the checklist that you need to hit, the five points, to be a celebrity, and we can see if you're a celebrity on this checklist actually
0: yeah let's see uh number one sure you've
3: got to have a unique personality, I think you do yeah. and there's there's no herring other than this herring um, yeah. and number two uh strangers need to know who you are, so people need to be able to recognize you and know your name even if they haven't met you before um, number three, your name needs to be spread by the mass media, so there needs to be the involvement of media that shares your your name out. I think we can say you've done that number four is kind of crucial there needs to be a fascination with your private life with yeah. what's going on in your sex life who you are <laughs>
0: so i was gonna say Twitter.
3: i'm not sure that you would tick that box because i think you're sharing that stuff but i'm not sure anyone's listening <laughs> <laughs> um and then the fifth point is the most important of all there needs to be an economic marketplace attached to someone's fame that isn't just there to say that they can make money for themselves but that other people can make money off them. So a celebrity is someone who has a parasitic economy attached to them, whereby journalists and bloggers and paparazzi and all that kind of people like that can make money by writing about the story or putting photographs up on the website of somebody else. So a celebrity needs to tick all five of those boxes, I don't think you do, I'm afraid. So ah. you have what I call renown, which I think is better. <laughs> so you're okay. renowned. You're a renowned comedian, and um, yes. renowned podcaster, but you're not a celebrity, I don't think. But I think Celebrity MasterChef would it. have you. I think if you... Yeah,
0: I've done some celebrity. You, I've been yeah. pointless celebrities. You've done pointless so celebrities?
3: I mean, that's, yeah. you know, I'd argue their 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 um they're threshold is pretty low, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um,
0: I'm one of the best celebrities you, that's been on there. How many times have you been on? Oh uh, well, I've actually just on my fourth, fourth, just before lockdown, I did my fourth appearance.
3: That's pretty good. Are,
0: so uh, that one hasn't been out yet, so I can only talk you, about the first three. Are
3: you getting better with practice? If you can't talk about the fourth, are you getting better? Well, the, uh,
0: with practice? Out of the first three—if we take the first three—I've got, I've got one round further every time.
3: So that's so that's proof. first
0: Knocked out first round, second round, third round, and okay. then you'll have to wait and find out whether that wow. continued. But for that to continue, I'd have had to win the fourth one. And maybe would you did. Be
3: Maybe you did. I'm looking for a glint in the eye here, and I'm not. Look, I'm, you, you should
0: know. look for a, a pointless trophy in the background. Yeah,
3: can we? No, not uh, nothing, there. Um, nothing there. So that might be a giveaway, but, yes, but I so might c- have hidden it. Celebrity is a, is a phrase that we, we use all the time, and yet, of course, there are telly shows that have celebrity in the title where there are people on there. You're like, you're not celebrity, um, and that's not to say that they don't have great talent or great worth. It's just that they, they don't hit the criteria of what a celebrity is. So the book is funny, hopefully, and surprising, hopefully, but it's a work of history it's a properly you know there's a thousand things in the um, bibliography, and um, it's you know a proper history book, but it's a hopefully a bit of a laugh as well so it's fun and there are people in there who are really fascinating, but there's also celebrity animals there's Clara the rhino yes yeah
0: I saw that she's Clara, two Clara tons
3: two tons of fun um,
0: do you think Clara the rhino? I mean, did she know she was a celebrity? Did she was she aware? That's a great that, question.
3: That I mean yeah. that uh, was it Wittgenstein who said, you know, th- does a does a lion know uh, if it's a lion and, and all that stuff? So um, yeah. I think Clara the Rhino probably wasn't aware of the fact that she was a celebrity, but she was probably aware that like she was changing city a lot because she was going on tour, and she had yeah. a rider. She liked tobacco and beer, so she's a bit of right. a rock star. So I guess she you know she had a manager she went on tour and she drank beer and smoked she tobacco. must have
0: noticed the other rhinos didn't have managers she must have said why have i got a manager <laughs> there were, were no other I rhinos she was taking... why am i in a why am i in a city <laughs> Not, there's no other rhinos here
3: She's what's going on she didn't did know, she know
0: there were other rhinos she did she meet know other rhinos? rhinos
3: she was a calf when she was brought to europe from india okay. so, um she probably didn't know many rhinos so yeah she spent most of her life being the only rhino so
0: thinking she was a really weird person yeah maybe maybe just think, why is everyone else not look like I mean, maybe she didn't know what she looked like. Probably didn't have mirrors. She so just assumed she was a person.
3: They did have mirrors. Just thought, she thought I must be pretty. She, she might have didn't, assumed, she might have assumed didn't that have she was mir- a person. She, they
0: didn't have mirrors in those days, Greg. Don't, you don't know anything about history.
3: <laughs> they did have mirrors in those days. Uh, <laughs> they
0: didn't have rhino mirrors. A, they didn't have a
3: mirror big enough to see a rhino in. There's a, famously, the guy who invented, one of the guys who invented roller skates, if I remember rightly, was called, yeah. I think his name was John Joseph Merlin, I think it was, and he was, uh, one of the things he did he was trying to roll a skate around a dinner party while playing violin, and he smashed into a mirror and yeah. very nearly killed himself so <laughs> uh, that was in the eighteenth century so um okay. so yes, they did have mirrors because people were well,
0: they did that they broke the roller skate into, into and broke it yeah, well, so maybe, maybe there wasn't a, that was the only one, <laughs> maybe. You never know. So, who who was the f- who do you pin down as being the first celebrity? I,
3: I pin him down. I, I put my bum yeah. on his face. And, uh,
0: <laughs> you should. Um, you do second bum.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the earliest celebrity in my book is a, a weird one. He's called uh, Doctor Henry Sacheverell, and he was a conservative churchman. Uh, in right. a, a fury, he, he was a kind of furious Tory in a poodle wig. And in 1709, he gave a speech in St Paul's Cathedral saying the Church of England had gone soft, uh, and that the Whig government of Queen Anne was, you know namby pamby lefties uh and he divided the nation down the middle and became this huge star people named their babies after him uh, he posed for 20 different paintings uh, there were pubs named after him there were riots named after him he was paraded through the streets with an armed bodyguard he was sort of the nigel farage of 1709 and yeah. um and he helped decide the election of 1710 he told people how to vote and the tories won a landslide so he's the kind of first celebrity of that period and it's, it's a surprising one because he you know he's when you look at the paintings of him he's sort of this grumpy tory in a kind of poodle wig sort of going what do you want um and he's not at all the kind of sexy you know top off bikini model or whatever <laughs> it's it's a totally we different kind of thing but celebrity is an economic system it's not just about glamorous people with with nice teeth
0: yes and so you, one of the these talk about in the book is um the kind of phenomenon of being famous for being famous yeah. which it feels like it feels like a modern thing but you're arguing that is no equally not, yeah. not
3: modern goes back to the 18th century um there was a book written in 1786 called the age of genius that complained that there were people there were celebrities out there who didn't do anything they had no talent they were just famous for being famous um Casanova was one of them so uh, right. yeah, Giacomo Casanova is now known as a sort of international shagmeister you know sort of toured Europe just bonking but he was desperate to be famous he he sort of hunted fame down um and uh was he sort of tried all sorts of different routes to it he had a famous duel um he tried to be a sort of famous conversationist which was a job you could do in the 18th century just really i guess podcaster i guess it's 18th century podcaster um he was sort of known for his fashion taste and uh, he toured around italy went to france he was in england and so forth he you know he really really wanted to be famous so he did all he could to make it and um and then wrote his memoirs uh so yeah actually the the complaint of you know, this idea of famous being famous is a complaint that comes from the 1960s by a guy called Daniel J. Borstin. But actually, it had been there in the 18th century. The romantic poets complained about it. So, sort of you know, um, Keats, Shelley, Byron, uh, Wordsworth, people like that, they're whinging about these sort of, these blooming celebrities. You've got no real talent. What we're looking for is proper glorious fame that will live long after it. You know, we'll die, but our poetry will live eternal. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting one, actually, that celebrity, in all the ways we think of it, It's 300 years old.
0: Yeah. And and it's, I mean, it's a weird phenomenon that people would covet it and whether it's a, you know, I think it's so often not a good thing. I mean, that people, even though so many people, I mean, you know, you see it now in the newspapers, but obviously throughout history, Mm -hmm. the people for whom it's destroyed them or the the people built, I mean, I presume that's a a historical thing as well, built up and then people, I know you talk about a child, a very famous child actor who's built up. Yeah. Yeah built up and then tries to make a comeback and no one's interested yeah
3: so in 1803 master betty became a superstar age 12 and uh age 14 everyone was like yeah we're done with that now bored move on and he tried to have a comeback at 19 nobody cared so he had this sort of two-year intense period of he was sort of macaulay culkin of the the 19th century um and yeah there were celebrities who were destroyed by fame and it's you know some genuinely horrible stories in the book you know because it's a funny book but there are some sad stories in there where you have to sort of kind of go okay this bit's really sad sorry so people like brenda frazier who was a socialite in the 1930s in america and she was made famous because she had a rich daddy and her life just fell apart. It was just horrible. Um, Evelyn Nesbitt, her life is just traumatic and horrible in many, many ways. Um, and then you've got people like Grace Darling, who is um, a hero, you know, heroine. She saved people from drowning you know, um, up in Northumbria. She rode out with her dad to save people from a shipwreck. And she was turned into a heroine by the media. And people just wrote to her and turned up at her house and knocked on the door. She went partially bald because people kept asking for locks of her hair and she didn't want to say no. So she was sort of sending out like all her hair. <laughs> and, um, and she just kind of became public property. And Florence Nightingale hated being famous. Like she absolutely loathed it. Um, changed the name to Mrs. Smith when she was traveling. so people didn't bother her. Um, she calls it, she called it fuzz buzz, which I think is quite nice. Um yeah. So yeah, there's, there are lots of people in history for whom celebrity was like done to them without their will, you know, without wanting it. And then a lot yeah. of people who chased it down and were desperately wanting to have it. And then there are quite a lot of people in the middle who were like, well, you know, I want to do this thing. And if I get successful, great. Okay, lovely. So celebrity has lots of different permutations. It can be really glamorous. It can be really horrible. And it can be often sort of a bit of both.
0: Yeah. I, it's, I suppose it's that weird thing uh, that you're presumably feeling now talking to me that, it's you know being in the presence of a celebrity i know you're the bloke off of a horrible history so i'm very impressed with you too but is it's that weird i mean you know that i still if you saw the michael palin interview i did recently yeah. when you're with someone that famous yeah. it's sort of this oh you're overwhelmed by it so i mean you, you write about uh, list mania yep. with the friends list yeah and people with baby basically women you know, he's a rock star women fawning over him and queuing up to have sex with him, but just trying to take anything of his to own. Is that a charismatic thing or is it just... Is it certain people that have that or is it literally just the fame, the the renown that that makes people act like that such a
3: uh, such a difficult question really really good question and uh an important one yeah so charisma is a really interesting idea it goes back a long way but it keeps changing its meaning so it originally it's ancient greek word charisma with k it meant a gift freely given and then saint paul uses it in the bible and he's talking about uh, a gift from god grace gifted by God to uh, to people uh, but the 19th century people are starting to talk about magnetism and mesmerism and the idea that people have like innate kind of magnetic qualities that make other people drawn towards them uh, and then you get max weber who talks about the idea of charismatic politics and leadership and people who can inspire mobs and crowds and whatever but when you get to movie stars in the 1930s they they're trying to find their own language so that's when 1933 they invent the phrase x factor and they also have the phrase oomph, which I think is a great great one. So Marilyn Monroe was voted most oomphish at her school in 1941, <laughs> which is a wonderful word. I mean oomphish. I don't think I'll ever be called oomphish, but um I could certainly aspire to it. Um, so there is something inalienably weirdly fascinating about certain people. And what is it that draws us to them? Is it their beauty? Is it their gravitas is it their height is it the fact that they're successful is it you know tom cruise is a very small man and yet of course if you met him you'd probably be impressed by his stature because you'd probably be like oh it's tom cruise he'd feel bigger um so what's that what's going on there lots of people have tried to theorize it sociologists psychologists evolutionary biologists all sorts of people have had sort of theories but we don't know we just don't know it's just really interesting and from a historical,
0: what is it to do with this i mean obviously we're a social animal yeah and we, you know, there were, I guess, the hierarchies within, you know, the tribe that we would have come from initially. So we, you have reverence for, but I guess you have reverence for the leader, but also for people who are capable of doing something yeah. there's, special within that. It, you know, it could go back to that.
3: I there's, there's um, Yeah, there's a school of thought amongst sort of... Um people who work with primates, chimps and whatever, who say like, well, you know, maybe celebrities are a bit like alpha males and, and everyone else sort of desperately trying to look at what the alpha male's doing. Um, and it might be that. It could well be that, yeah, we're used to living in small communities. You know, from an evolutionary point of view, we're meant to live in small communities, a hundred or so, but we live in communities of millions and we've been baffled and bamboozled by technology that allows us to assume that people we see on the telly are basically our neighbours. And we live in the same village as them and the same street, but of course we don't. So it ends up in a thing called parasocial intimacy, um, which is where you have a one-sided relationship where people know loads about the celebrity, but the celebrity doesn't even know the person's name. So you might go up to a celebrity in the street and be like, Oh my God, it's you. I love you so much. I know all about your, you know, I know what tattoos you've got. I know who you've dated. I know you had that breakdown. It was awful. I'm so sorry. All this stuff. And they might be like, hello, yeah. nice to meet you. What's your name? And that's, yeah a parasocial relationship where it's really one-sided, but it feels like friendship. Um, And you can't call it parasocialism because that sounds like Lenin jumping out of a plane, but uh, I like to call it parasocialism. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a really fascinating, weird thing. And I've had, I've had a couple of, I'm not a celebrity and I'm not famous at all, but I obviously make a podcast and people are sort of vaguely aware of me now, which is sort of nice and sort of a little bit odd. Um, But I've been, at movie premieres for friends um where someone has done a someone's done a a photograph a sort of selfie with them kind of going oh my god can i get a selfie and you kind of go yeah yeah, sure and then the next person comes up and goes hi i don't know who you are but can i get a selfie (laughs) and you're like what and they're like well that person got a selfie i want a selfie (laughs) and i'm like no but i'm not that was that was my friend we were doing a selfie because it's my friend and we're a thing and it's a fun night out hooray they're like yeah but but they're famous and so therefore you must be too so so i've seen people actually uh kind of almost kind of gravitate towards what they think fame must be almost as if if you get close you can touch it and smell it and and sense it so they've they've wanted a selfie with someone they don't know who they who they are can i get your autograph you know it's like no. (laughs) <laughs> who I am? Um, are you joe wicks yes i'm joe wicks so.
0: <laughs> i thought you were joe wicks when i got you on but th- we've managed to bl- bl- bluff our way through um i've got an emergency question based on fame which i'll ask you yeah. so it's, it's confused some guests so i'm going to be very careful as i explain it who is the most famous person you've ever been in a lift with that you didn't get into the lift with i you might have got on the lift with them but you weren't with them you might have got on the same floor Ideally not, but you didn't get in with them is what I'm saying. Who's the most famous person you've been in the lift? Yeah, so who who
3: have you got into a lift? You've you've got into a lift and you've no celebrity in there.
0: Yeah, that you didn't arrive in the lift with. It's a very simple question. I don't know why anyone would be confused by it.
3: <laughs> I have been in lifts with quite a lot of famous people because yeah. just when you work in telly and film or whatever, you tend to just occupy.
0: Who's the most famous? Stop. Well, that's, the most famous. That's a good you should idea. be able to do it. All right. Well, I'm you gonna, know what? All about fame. You should know straight away who's the most famous. Let me offer you. Why.
3: Let me offer you some names, and you can tell me who's okay. most famous. Okay. Steven Spielberg.
0: Yeah. Keira Knightley. Yeah.
3: Jude Law yeah the cast of horrible you... histories <laughs> yeah that doesn't count cuz you got in the lift with them no, and the, before you them. met them. um Stephen fry although uh, yeah uh, i mean i probably steven spielberg isn't it probably... i think steven spielberg
0: definitely had that load of no hopers
3: but um i mean i i once bumped into i once physically bumped into scarlett johansson like yeah. it came around a corner and hit her uh yeah. And that was at the Brit Awards, and I was a student. It was years ago, two thousand and four, I think. And um, so I came around the corner. I'd won a competition. I'd won a radio competition to go to the Brit Awards. So to Mike, bump
0: into Scarley. <laughs> Ramp, to, to physically to run around down. the corner and there'll be a celebrity round that <laughs> corner. We're not telling you who it is. We're not telling
3: you who it is. Uh, and I came round the corner, and I just hit this tiny, gorgeous, sort of elfin human—very small, incredibly beautiful. But then to very large hands arrived on my shoulders and lifted me up and out the way. And it was her bodyguards and they physically deposited me to the side. It was really great. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's what celebrity is. It's like this, you can sort of meet someone, but you just, you're removed from their space immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of airlifted out. Um, And another thing, someone once asked me, what does celebrities sound like? And I know what it sounds like because I once accidentally went down the red carpet at an event that I wasn't meant to go down. I had—I was allowed to go to the—it was, you know, the Children's Baftas. I was allowed to go in. I, you know, we'd been nominated, but I wasn't meant to go down the red carpet because I'm not famous. I went down the red carpet, my mistake, and all the paparazzi were snapping, and they were snapping the people ahead of me, and the sound is deafening, (laughs) deafening, like. like just endless machine gun fire of like flash bulbs and and men shouting, Kira, over here, over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smile, (laughs) smile. And I got there and they just put their cameras down. (laughs) (laughs) Utter silence. Like just genuine, like all you could hear is the sort of muttering of paparazzi going, so uh, yeah, if you... um..."
0: Well, you know the sound of not being famous. That's the sound of not being famous. as soon as I left again,
3: someone behind me, a TV presenter came back and then suddenly... (laughs) And uh, so that's, that's the sound of celebrities the sound of machine gun kind of style paparazzi cameras and then me turning up and <laughs> ruining it.
0: <laughs> and uh I know it's it is interesting I think. I mean it's a, it's a, it's a great topic for a book and it's great to get that historical perspective on it as well because I think most books would be about modern day celebrity. Uh but I think it's get I I've always been interested in that balance which Arthur Smith's talked about the comedian Arthur Smith is mm. saying you just want to kind of certain you want a level of fame where you're you get all the cool stuff but you don't get the hassle <laughs> when you're walking around whereas I think I think Arthur Smith has exactly hit that where he's got renown mm. as you would say within the within his own industry he gets work he gets all that so he gets quite a lot of the benefits of being famous but he can absolutely go about his life yeah uh, and without without being har- harassed really, or someone might go, "Hey, Arthur, how are you doing?" I go, "I'm fine," you know. But then that's that's his life, and, he, and I think if you if he's talked about that being perfect, obviously having viewed some of his friends become mega stars, yeah. and some of his friends not being you know not succeeding, it's it's it, it's always a weird thing because obviously you don't really have control over where you end up to a certain extent. I suppose if you become super famous, you could decide to opt out.
3: You could. You but could even, do a sort of Daniel Day-Lewis thing, go and become a yeah. carrot farmer or whatever it was, or a cobbler in Italy. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point, actually. Arthur Smith, obviously, is really good at what he does, and he's not had to play the kind of celebrity games to a certain extent, and he's reached a level now where probably people in the street are like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, hello, and a sort of nice, gentle wave. Um, but then you get the opposite, which is the kind of, uh, you know... Beyonce cannot go down the high street. <laughs> she yeah. she can't go into Dixon's or whatever it is. Is Dixon still going? Uh, Curry's, wherever. Uh, uh, which I think it is. Whatever. Um, I hope so. And um, I mean, 18th century celebrities had the same problem. So there's a very famous, very beautiful actress and poet called Mary Robinson, who complained in her memoir of not being able to go to a, a hat shop because people were just like outside the shop, desperately trying to get in to see what she bought. And, and there were celebs in the early 20th century who were very nearly crushed to death by their fans uh, one of whom Florence Lawrence was the first ever real movie star, first ever named movie star because movie stars were, movie actors were anonymous before that 1911 and her manager faked her death as a promo stunt. And then she turned up at this public event and people were so excited that she was alive. They very nearly killed her. So, um, <laughs> sort of irony to that. Um, so quite a lot of the history of celebrity is actually the story of people enjoying the rise a bit. And then they're hitting a point where they're like, Oh, Oh, oh God, I can't go anywhere. I've lost my anonymity. I've lost my freedom. I can't even go to the shops anymore. People want to know what's going on in my life. People are, lots of 18th century actresses, people would just come into their dressing rooms to watch them get changed, tra- get changed, you know, right. get dressed and whatever. And they'd be like, um, hi. <laughs> and the people were like, hello, I just came <laughs> to look at you. And so this idea of kind of wanting to peek into other people's lives goes back 300 years. And yeah, there are, there's a sort of, there's a hyper level of fame that you can hit which is insane levels of fame where you are the Tom Cruise the Will Smith's the Lady Gargas, where you are internationally super famous in hundreds of different places you know multiple territories and where you basically have to go to you know the backwaters of Ulaanbaatar or somewhere in Mongolia for people to kind of go good morning hello without then going can i get a selfie but even now these days actually if you go to Mongolia i'm sure Lady Gaga is probably very famous so yeah that's really weird but surprisingly enough it's older than you might expect
0: yeah and do you think from all this research is it worth becoming that famous is it do you think there's more examples of it being a positive thing for people than negative or do you think it's more negative
3: i would hate it uh and um i think it probably attracts a certain type of personality. So, you know, Donald Trump is a celebrity who became president and he clearly loves it. I mean, he's having the best time. I mean, even though he's a sort of horrific train wreck of a human and uh, terrifyingly dangerous man, uh, he loves just, you know, the ratings of it. He loves knowing, like, is he trending number one? Uh, So he he's very much kind of the Warholian idea of Andy Warhol said, um, don't read what they say about you. Just measure it in column inches the idea that it doesn't matter what people are actually thinking as long as they're talking about you, which is, you know, the same line that Oscar Wilde said, I think as well, you know, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. Um, So, yeah, I think, I think they, there comes a point where celebrity becomes so intense that it inevitably probably fucks your brain and your mind. And you just, you can't ever be a normal human again, probably. And then I think there are probably celebs who deal with it better than others, but, like Madonna is never going to be able to go to the shops and just sort of go, Oh, I think I'll have soup for dinner. It's just not it's not an experience she'll ever be able to have. And psychologically she's probably incapable of thinking those sorts of things now. Even though she's gonna be a mum, she's a you know, she's a, a sibling, I'm sure, or whatever. You know, she's got normal relationships with people, but she just won't ever get to be like a human like the rest of us in that sense because she is an icon and sure. It's really interesting seeing what Beyonce has done in the past couple of years. Beyonce's just stopped doing interviews and stopped doing promo because she's reached a level of incredible fame and respect where she can now just goes, I do what I like and I've released an album. I've released it at midnight. I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> it's just there. There it is. Uh, I'm just going to do a show. It'll be the sort of, you know, incredible show with be the best thing on Netflix, but uh, I'm not telling anyone. She's just become this incredible master of her own PR and she doesn't even need journalists. So maybe she's, you know, showing us how it's all meant to be done. But I think celebrity looks like a pretty miserable existence, and I would hate to have it.
0: Yeah, it is. It's really bad. (laughs) So uh, you know, it's awful.
3: Apart from going on pointless, Uh, obviously. I mean, I'm not getting on pointless. I'd love to go on celebrity pointless, uh, even though I would protest that I'm not celebrity. But you You could
0: go. You could. You're definitely qualified. Honestly, (laughs) (laughs) you're overqualified for the show. I'll I'll have a word with Richard Osman. He'll he'll let you on. Um, I I love it. With I mean, you're brilliant at this, and this is obviously what what you do. But finding the, these little <clears throat> funny historical stories, I think it sort of does bring uh, history alive. I think it's great for kids, obviously, yeah. with horrible histories and everything to to make it funny. But it's but also for adults. I think humor is such an important thing to uh, put. And and I think the, the humorous incidents within life, uh, within history, are the are the things that bring it to life as well, and, and humanize historical figures but i was i was really like the bit about abraham lincoln and why he grew a beard which i was not aware of isn't
3: it good isn't it a cute story <laughs> yeah, really yeah. so the story the story is that abraham lincoln was uh, a very smooth-faced man very tall and quite weird looking he might have had something called marfan syndrome which made him very very long um and um he received he was running for election running for office as, as president obviously and he received a letter from a girl called grace bedell i think it was um and she was about 11 years old she wasn't old enough to vote of course um but she wrote him a letter saying uh dear abraham lincoln um i think you're you're a bit weird looking and <laughs> I think, you know my mum's not going to vote for you because you've got a weird face do you maybe want fancy growing some sideburns or some, some mutton chops uh, it might hide some of the weird <laughs> uh, which you know on the face of it you're like that's a bit bit rude but um <laughs> he then visited her town specifically to go and meet her and lent down this sort of very tall man lent down to this very small girl and then sort of whispered in her ear and said grace i've grown my uh whiskers for you um <laughs> So clearly, he took the advice of an eleven-year-old girl and became, you know, Abraham Lincoln, the president of America. Worked. So I think what we're what we're saying here is that all politicians should take their grooming advice from children. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredibly, in, I and
0: mean, is it secure or insecure? I'm not sure. To go, oh yeah, I, I
3: Do look weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in case other people think that it's great, but lovely, uh, great stuff. And after, well, there's there's lots more talked about in this book, which we uh, you should read it. It's a very good book. Uh, dead famous look at that i'm going to read it all when i'm finished writing my own book um <laughs> do you i mean it's do you find that i think writing books is the hardest thing
3: yeah it's lonely out
0: of, the, out of all the kind of writing jobs yes it's, yeah. it's my one luckily is relatively short and a, a lot based on my own experience and things i've thought about already so it's a bit easier but to put together something like that, I think you know you are you're going to libraries presumably or surfing the internet and uh, yeah, I mean uh, I,
3: I get I, I get a lot of books sent to me from the library, which is nice. Uh, and then yeah, it was I've read about a thousand things, so the the, you know, yeah. the bibliography is quite long. Um, but um, yeah, it took four years reading old newspapers, old magazines, old um, um, you know, sort of paraphernalia as well from the 18th century 19th century stuff like that and then just reading loads, yeah. and loads of scholarship article journal articles phd theses by by academics and, and phd students and whatever and just trying to get understand it but yeah i ended up with 1.4 million words of notes which then had to be cut down to 135,000 words for a book so it was sort of terrifying just going how does this go in the book i don't squeezing it in the getting the uh, well I,
0: and were you changing was it actually again in the introduction you talk about how on the first day of writing mm. the book you, you came downstairs to discover that uh, David Bowie had just died. Yeah, um, not in my lounge. That
3: would that would, no, <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. Shit, it's David Bowie. Um <laughs> you,
0: you got the new but that kind of changed that immediately changed the direction the book was gonna yeah. go in. So you as you're researching these things, um uh, you, we did you did you, have, did you start with a did you start with a with an idea of where it was going or did that change as you, as you researched
3: it? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, um, I was going to write a slightly snarkier, slightly more cheeky book, probably a bit more like celebrities, what are they like? Um, and then on the very morning I started the book, literally 20 minutes into me beginning, like, you know, chapter one celebrity yeah. what is it um
0: what a like, load of cunts uh, they all are <laughs> they're all fuckers i'm
3: doing um, well
0: i'm flying it what <laughs> uh,
3: uh, and yeah, my phone went dong and told me you know news update and i looked down and yeah david bowie had died and obviously this was a huge shock because in january 2016 he'd just released a brand new album three days before so everyone was like oh david bowie's got new stuff that's interesting that's great oh i hope it's good i'll give it a listen and um and so everyone was expecting david bowie to be like doing promo doing tours doing shows you know playing his stuff and he was dead and people freaked out and they just twitter just lost its kind of all perspective that was the only story going on twitter and so i switched on lauren laverne's radio show and i love lauren she's amazing and she just turned her show into a eulogy and people were phoning in saying what david bowie had meant to them and the kind of genuinely moving tribute to this person who'd shaped so many lives and then i kind of went oh Bollocks! I've got it wrong. <laughs> My book is, you know, a sort of snarky, cheeky, naughty history of celebrity. Actually, I can't do that. That's not. That's not right. Celebrity really means something. It's actually very powerful. It has a really important role in society. Oh, I need to take this seriously. So the book is funny. It's you know light-hearted and whatever. But actually, I come down on the sort of side of saying the celebrity is not vacuous and and, and a bit crap. Actually, it can be really powerful and it can shape. The ethical conversations we have it can shape the kind of society we live in the kind of rules we want to live by the kind of people we want to be as individuals so uh david bowie's death was very sad but it did actually give me a, a sort of a fresh insight into how i could improve the book without even having written it which is nice
0: sure good i'm glad i'm, de- I'm delighted he died as a result. i'm glad because otherwise the book wouldn't have been as good you know so i think he'll be glad he's dead as well I I so suspect
3: that David Bowie prefer, would prefer to have been alive, but um, I think anyone I'm, you yeah.
0: know or anyone watching this would go, "Well, it's better that he's dead." Greg, <laughs> Greg Jenner's got a, a better book out. Of I it. don't that's think what, Adam Buxton. I would. think that's what we're taking I mean, home. Adam
3: Buxton loved David Bowie. I think he would probably be thinking, <laughs> "No, no, I'd rather have Bowie." I think he'd w- rather I had died. I think, I think, no, I think that's why. No. <laughs> that
0: he wouldn't. He <laughs> It's a difficult. I'll ask him next time he's on. <laughs> it's, it's, it'll be Sophie's choice for him. But uh, you, you may go. Uh, I don't think I've asked you. Th- I, think this is a, I think this was a, an emergency question I've only started asking since you were last on. Yeah. But it's a good question for you. If, forgive me if I've asked you before, but I don't think I have. If you could have one item, the, if all the museums and art galleries in the world, and I'm guessing probably museums for you, but you're allowed to choose art as well, got together and said, we love Greg Jenner. We're going to let him take one thing home, and it's his from any museum or art gallery of any kind. It can be something valuable. It can be just something that you're interested in. Which one thing would you take from all the museums of the world for yourself?
3: Okay. I would take the Bayeux Tapestry. Okay. In, um, Good. It, uh, I'll give you two reasons why. Firstly, it's it's, a, it's incredibly important as a work yeah. of a, a glorious piece of medieval embroidery. It's not a tapestry. It's embroidery. And as a former medievalist, uh, obviously it would be wonderful to have. Um, there you go. There's a book there. Uh, by a tapestry right there. We're so, fantastic. you know, I, I know exactly what it looks like. I'll take it. But the reason I would want it is that it's 75 metres long. I would unfurl it in my garden. Uh, I would then uh, get a bucket of water and some, some gelatin. I would lace all the gelatin, throw it down the water, and I'd use it as a slip and slide. <laughs> on my belly, sliding 75 metres all the way to the death of King Harold. Arrow in the eye. Wow. And then I'd probably stop.
0: That's fantastic. <laughs> a fantastic, the fantastic answer to that question. Um... Fantastic! Uh, brilliant. Look, we've taken up a lot of your time, and I know you have a young uh, child, uh, so I massively appreciate uh, uh, that. Are you doing? You're doing more? Uh, you're dead to me's.
3: We'd love to. We are gonna try and investigate if it's possible to do them remotely. Okay. It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard to put it off. Uh, but we'd love to do more. It's such fun, and we're getting lots of messages from people going, "Please do more." It's it's you know genuinely a sort of upbeat, fun podcast that is sort of helping me go in these difficult times. So it feels like, okay, we probably should. But it's been, it's a challenge because you kind of, you know, you you know what it's like getting in a room with someone gives you a kind of chemistry. And if it's a three-way conversation, you just, it's a bit more lighthearted and because historians and comedians are really similar, but they're also slightly wary of each other initially when we first sit down, because the comedian is like, I don't want to look like a stupid idiot and the historian's like well I don't want to sound like a po-faced ass who doesn't you know doesn't laugh so everyone's a little bit nervous to begin with and I think sometimes being in the room together and eating biscuits is, is quite a nice way to do that but yeah we'll try and do it remotely well,
0: you know we might be able to be non-remote again quite soon you I never so. know uh but it's there's something for the, the remote uh chat has something to it as well so i think it's it's sort of interesting to have this world opened up i think even when we are back in theaters i think i will want to carry on doing some of them like this it's also you know you can talk to people who uh you can't get into the theater which um, is quite a lot of people uh, there's loads of Um,
3: historians in america and and, in france and italy i'd love to be able to get on the show so yeah maybe maybe we'll do it
0: so it does sort of open up the world a little bit and i think it's interesting how people are coping with uh, with this lockdown situation and where it might lead and you know i think i'm sort of interested in comedy clubs being able to broadcast to the world which i think they've sort of maybe realized that that's a possibility now but you could still have the live comedy but charge people in america to watch someone you know or, or anywhere yeah. not just america uh, just in another town who couldn't make it to the club or can't get in so it's it's sort of an interesting uh possibility this liveness of it all
3: does that affect um, at, that affects the economics of tours though doesn't it i suppose so you'd have well, to I mean it,
0: but I, but it would only only i think it I, I was thinking more i mean yeah you could do it on tours but also you could do it um just you know i think like the stand comedy club. quite a few comedy clubs are doing a live event yeah uh which is then streamed out and they a lot most of them doing it for charity at the moment but there's no nothing to stop them actually doing that once they're that's true i, I guess you might think oh well people won't bother paying for tickets but i think they people will want to see it live but if you can't get to the, the stand in Edinburgh, or any of the stands actually, are fantastic comedy clubs. If you live three hundred miles away, you're not gonna travel up to go and see that show. But if you might, you might pay three quid to a month or a week or whatever to see what's going on. Depends if you're Dominic Cummings, so, you know,
3: isn't it? If you drive to Barnard Castle to go see some is, comedy.
0: It does. But also, you know, lots of people don't you know, can't get out or lots of people Yeah, of course can't get out in normal circumstances because they've got a family or whatever or the work so it's you know it, it's interesting that there's a whole untapped audience out there yeah um and i presume you're are you working on the next book or books is i'm it, writing two books
3: you? simultaneously at the moment which are you allowed to sick.
0: tell us anything about them or uh, are they, Deadly possibly
3: possibly i'm not sure Ooh, i don't know one of them's a kid's book uh, so i'm yeah. writing my first children's book it should be fun and uh the next book is going to be called ask a historian and actually, I'm looking for people to send in questions for me to answer. So actually, maybe if people have fun questions, uh, I'll be posting something quite soon on my Twitter that will uh, be a little form. You can send in your questions and it's just like, you know, send me the qu- send me difficult challenging, funny, weird questions about history. And I'll do my best to answer them in a way that is vaguely accurate and, and a laugh. So, um, yeah, two books at the same time is a bit of a head scratcher. But, you know, it's nice. It's nice to be wanted.
0: <laughs> it is nice well and people should buy your book it's available on audiobook you do the audiobook yourself i did yeah it's that's fun. another i'll ask you this one more question it's oh, another well. slight emergency question uh audiobooks obviously are quite a new thing and uh, often the author does read them if there was anyone in history or who before the times of audiobooks or even now who could get to hear reading their own book on audiobook who would you like to hear uh, actually oh, the author reading their own book their
3: own book yeah. Oh, uh, well, okay. So I mean you'd have to go Charles Dickens because Charles Dickens yeah. famously was brilliant as a life performer of his own books. So he uh, yeah. during his second American tour, he um he earned something like 30 million pounds during that tour. Uh he performed all the roles uh from his his books and read them in front of a live audience and and he got so emotive and exhausted in it he had to have a lie down after every night performance and he was sort of surviving on champagne and various sort of hardcore boozes and but he was this brilliant performer. He knackered himself to the point that he pretty much died two years later of exhaustion. Like he absolutely burned through all his reserves of energy doing this tour where every night he was up there performing the death of, you know, Little Nell or whatever. Um so he would be brilliant. He'd be a very good audiobook reader. So.
0: Is there? I mean, so this is um, this is me showing my ignorance here. Was there any form of uh, recording that crossed over with Charles Dickens' life? Would there have
3: been Would there have been any? Not in his life. No. Brief recording. No. Uh, we have uh, we have Florence Nightingale's voice. Um, right. What, so, yeah. right at the end of the century, right in the nineteenth century, we have. Um, Thomas yeah, he Edison. didn't quite get to the end. Of, no, so yeah. he he died um, mid-century, really. So we've got. Right, okay. we have the voice of, of Florence Nightingale, which is quite um, it's quite scratchy and, and high pitched, but she's like, "Hello, I'm Florence Nightingale. <laughs> I hope this voice is nice." Um, and we have some sort of uh, pretty interesting early kind of like early sort of stars of like Vaudeville and obviously Hollywood and whatever. Like it's kind of it's quite exciting actually to hear actual actual songs from like the 1910s and 20s and you kind of go oh yeah it's it's all right it's quite good um but no victorians are relatively thin on the ground when it comes to audio yeah. so
0: some there's some photos they had
3: photos we well, got photos and the, the, the book is a whole chapter on image and the history of image and technology of photography because that's really fascinating so um sure. um you know well i i
0: uh, always a fantastic read when I've I've seen your stuff. I, I highly recommend it. I know people aren't buying as many books during lockdown. <laughs> it's time to start buying books, people, and getting out there and start getting back into reading. I'm going to read this one as soon as I've read m- written my one. That's fair. Uh, you, if you're writing a book,
3: yeah, I think authors but, are. Listen, I've got a
0: pile. I've got a pile about that high <laughs> of books I want to read, but. Uh, I can't do it at the moment, but uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. The bits I've read are fantastic. And there's always just – it's lovely to have humour, I think, in anything, and uh, but also be be learning stuff as well. So uh, you're the perfect guy for that. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Pleasure. I, uh, I hope to see you in the flesh very soon. Naked, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> With, <Yeah. laughs> on the other end of spit-roasting spit a mouse. <laughs> Sorry, a (laughs) mouse, human, human mouse.
3: Spit roasting with who? With someone else? uh,
0: Someone else is in the middle. The mouse is in the middle. Yeah. We're spit roasting. Oh, you and me. Okay, yeah. Right. Well, that we'll work it. We'll work it together. That feels like a whole all other the conversation. Or the Neanderthal. We've, we we turned off. Right. This is us talking after it's over. Uh, you wouldn't do this with any other academic. I want to do this with Mary Beard. Probably. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, do subscribe if you're on Twitch. Remember to resubscribe. Thank you very much for all your follows and subscriptions. Uh, go for us Uh, for all your Richard Herring needs and badges and de blah. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we have got a guest for next week uh, sorted out. It is uh, uh, <laughs> Lauren Passon uh, is on next week. He's a fantastic uh, newer comedian. Uh, I want to talk to her about uh, how lots of comedians are struggling to get any work done because they're not allowed to do comedy clubs anymore. She's working and uh, in a supermarket. She did
3: double. the she did the Mary Shelley episode of You're Dead to Me. Oh, did she? Yeah, yes. and really yes. funny. Really, really good episode, yeah. that one as well. She, she's fabulous. Yeah.
0: She is fantastic. She's been on. She was on one of the Edinburgh shows as well, so uh, you'll be aware of already. Anyway, thanks very much for watching everyone. See you next time on Rahalastapper. Goodbye. Thanks, Greg. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard, and my guest, Greg Jenner. Thank you very much, DuPest. For providing the lovely music we have here uh, thank you very much to chris evans not that one for all his work in making this live stream work remember you can watch these live and free on twitch.tv slash on wednesday nights i would also like to thank my mum and dad for having me. um the, I'm indebted to the executive producer for this episode who's called Skegsis O'Rourke. We called him Smegsis O'Rourke on set and we found that quite funny because smegma is what you get if you don't wash your penis. So, quite a clever thing to do. This is a Fuzz and and Sky Potato production. Head to GoFasterStripe.com slash badges to get all your badge needs. Go to Amazon or Waterstones or wherever you like and order The Problem With Men... And listen out for Relativity on Radio 4. And Ali and Herring's Twitch are fun every Thursday night on twitch.tv slash rkherring. Also on your wherever you get your podcasts if you don't want to watch it happening. If you just want to listen to it. Thanks very much. Now go away.